Welcome back to another episode of Movie Madness. I'm your host, Henry Thompson. With me, as always, is my brother, Wayne Thompson. Now, Wayne, for me, say, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Awesome. And again with us is our friend and actor and journalist, Wayne Madden. Wayne, I want you to say for me, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. I'm I'm just a girl standing in, in, in front of a boy and asking, asking her to love him. Was that right? That, it wasn't exactly right, but it was pretty good all the same. Yeah, well done. Well done. Okay. <laughs> and joining us for the first time today is uh, actor, also producer, director, a bit of everything, jack of all trades, uh, Tim Mount. Tim, for me, I want you to say peach. I could eat a peach for hours. Peach. I could eat a peach for hours. Lovely. Mm, I don't know if everyone else is turned on. Now, uh, Tim, <laughs> no one warned you before you came on the show today that we actually, whenever someone comes on for the first time, we ask them a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, so we're going to start with those questions before we move into the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Madden's already been through this. Wayne's already been through this. So it's all on you, Tim. It's the Tim spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All yeah. right, man. As a filmmaker, the first question is, if you could work with any actor in history, living or dead, who would it be and why? Straight away, for me, it would be Christopher Lee. Mm, that's um, a good answer. He, I, I don't know how much, much, uh, you know, if Wayne's told you anything about me, but I, I've, he's been my, he's been my hero since I was about seven years old. For um, the acting or the killing. <laughs> oh well, the, the came as I got a bit older. <laughs> but, right, okay. Was <laughs> it was just no. It was every time I, my my father brought me up on on Hammer House of Horror and and uh, mm, yeah, Tyburn Amicus and every performance as as Dracula, um, you know Frankenstein's monster, anything the Mummy, uh, he was just captivating, absolutely captivating, and obviously in later roles where. You know, the, the public got to see kind of more uh, of him doing more kind of versatile stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought he was the the, the, the quintessential uh, British villain in everything that he played. You know, and uh, yeah, and and also he, uh, from what I've heard, I've, I've met a few people that have worked with him, and he was just, just a gentleman, from what I've heard. And um, I would just, I'd love to have met him and, and worked with him. Would have just been a, a added bonus, really. Awesome. That's a good pick, man. I think that's actually the second time we've heard Christopher Lee as a pick. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Actually, yeah. So uh, I just want to actually mention to people as well. Today, we're doing a remote episode. So you will hear some background noise here and there that I can't remove everything. Um, but it shouldn't detract from the overall enjoyment. I'm just warning you, you'll hear a couple of random noises in the background there. Oh, Tim, second question. As a filmmaker, if you could work with any director, living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, um, I think for, for, to, to work with as a collaborative project, I would, I'd have to say Martin Scorsese for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's if, and, and as terms to why, you know, I mean, it's um, for, for, honestly, for me, it, it would just be to learn. I think, I mean, the, the, the guy seems to have an eye for the, the, the best type of drama, uh, mm-hmm. suspense, uh, characterization. 
um, storytelling. You know, and I and I think um, he's always a sort of director. I say there's only a handful of them out there. I think where as soon as the the credit, the opening credits finish, and the first scene opens, you know you're watching a Scorsese movie. Do you know what I mean? It's it's very uh, it's very vintage and it's very refined. And he's he's really he, he, you know from from Mean Streets to uh, you know the the silence. I think his his craft's just gone from it's just matured like wine, really. And I think it's just gotten better and better. I, you know, I, I think the older he's getting and the films he's choosing to make now are just, um, they just seem to be growing in scale. And, and yeah, it would be, uh, I, I think we could do, I, I'd love to work with him after I'd stop gushing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'd get I'm, there. I'm, you're yeah. probably not going to be the first person that would gush all over him as well. I mean, the guy's had quite a track record of movies. Pretty oh, sure yeah. a lot of people come to him and just go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm working with you. And he's like, yes, I know, calm down. To be honest with you as well, <laughs> you, said, you said earlier it was it was about kind of the act, you know this episode of the acting world is what he it's it's the way he's 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 kind of gotten actors under some kind of mentorship, you know, um, mm-hmm. and how he's how he's kind of worked with them. Like in, in my personal opinion, for example, Leonardo DiCaprio from from many many years ago is a very different actor now. Yeah. Kind of, after going through that Scorsese millhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even when he's not working with him, I think that definitely shows in his, his performances in, in separate projects. Well, this is something I'm gonna I'm gonna branch onto during the episode about basically what what changes actors for the better um, mm-hmm. and how different directors can ha- leave their impact on people. But I gotta finish my questions first. Let's not mm-hmm. jump too far ahead of ourselves. Now, question number three. Don't worry, there's only four questions. Question number three, Tim. If you could live in a film. For 24 hours, any film in history, you can't get hurt in it. You just enjoy it. What film would you like to be inside of for a day in the film itself? Wow. You know, I only, I only watched it recently, um, but I, I'd have... Oh, blimey. God, that's a... <laughs> strange as it might sound, I'd, I'd probably have to say the... The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> All right, okay. You know, I really would. Um, not a bad choice. Yeah, I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying I'd you know willingly choose to be a Hobbit or anything like that. But uh, just I don't know. I mean, um, it would just be incredible, wouldn't it? I, I think just to just just to just to walk around in in the world of kind of wizards and uh, you know Ents and that sort of thing. I just think it would be uh, I think it would be remarkable. Yeah, definitely that one. Excellent. Really nice pick, man. That's you very just cool. have a drink with the Yorks, I guess. But you'd have a good laugh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, the final <laughs> question, uh, Tim, is if you could spend a day with any character, not the actor, but the character from any film in history, hang out with, go see a movie, have a beer, whatever, which character would you like to spend a day with? Oh, character. Oh, there's, um, isn't there? uh, probably for me, hinting on again to the... Uh, to the Scorsese link, I, I'd probably have to say, you know, Joe, Joe Pesci's character from Goodfellas? Uh-huh, yeah. I think to have, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we- we- weapons away, just have, just have a civil evening. Oh, yeah, you'd have to be nice to him, but yeah. I think a night, <laughs> yeah. I think a night out with that bloke would, would be absolutely hell-raising. <laughs> you know? I can believe that. And I think it would be funny. I think it would be unbelievably funny. Funny how? You tell me how funny. <laughs> how exactly? Like a cloud funny? Yeah. 
Oh, Sorry, you, man. You threw that over the plate. I had to swing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good answers, though, man. Thank you for doing the questions. And yes, as Tim alluded to, this episode is going to be about the actor's art actors in history that we say were really good bad what it's like being an actor what it's like you know learning as an actor the craft of acting and all that other bullshit so oh by the way we can curse on this show tim oh great brilliant cool just so you know it's an explicit <laughs> show we we started out the first episode talking about cunt pickles so these things happen um <laughs> now i'm just gonna say now i i have some experience acting but i'm not i'm much more behind the camera kind of guy uh wayne madden has experience acting but he's more of a journalist and also behind the camera guy he wants to do more acting tim's obviously started with acting but he's moved on to more film uh production side of things and wayne does everything but he's been acting for like 15 20 years so we've all had a bit of experience we know a little bit about what we're talking about and we met a lot of interesting actors along the journeys that we all had. Um, mm-hmm. If you, Madden, were to pick out what's the best or worst part of acting, like as a profession, as doing it, the experience of acting, what's the best and worst part for you? Uh, the best part is that you effectively get to pretend like when you were a child. So when you were a young kid and you were in the playground and you were like having those, um, I mean, the experience I had is that we were all on break and we were having those kind of like, you know, either cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers or whatever we were coming up with. It was that kind of pretense about it. Acting allows you to kind of escape, you know, your own mindset or rather what society expects you to be. So mm-hmm. society will look at you as one thing and will say, you're a man, you're whatever age you are, white, you are this descent. So therefore you need to act this way. And acting is a great way of breaking down your own boundaries and becoming something different and effectively broadening your horizons and learning about new things and new skills. But I think the best part of it is it it keeps you in tune with your own childhood. So Mm. you remember how to still play act and play pretend. And it keeps you young in a sense. And when Tim was mentioning Christopher Lee at the start of the show, I was thinking, now there's an example of a man who, yes, he drank a lot of virgin blood, but leaving that aside, (laughs) there's, there's a man who lived as long as he did because he was able to keep in tune with what made him feel young. This idea of running around as a kid and playing those kind of imaginary games and building those imaginary worlds. And then he got to do it for a living. And he lived a very long and successful and wonderful life in, in, you know, good health, uh, Mm. which is great. Um, in terms of the best part, oh, sorry, that's so, so that would be the best part. In terms of the worst part, it is possibly the thing I used to get annoyed by was when, um, and I still get annoyed by is I don't <laughs> mind, I don't mind doing films at all. I mean, if anybody offers me work, I don't want to seem as the kind of person who will turn it down. So if people out there think, God, you know, he'd sound great in my film, I'll give him a job. That's great. But the one thing that used to annoy me, especially when doing some amateur films with other people, obviously, I'm not talking about films that, you know, Henry and Wayne did. I'm talking about other people. It and, totally uh, is. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. Because ready to the, kick your ass. Yeah. Go on, make your comment. Well, well basically, <laughs> basically, it's when you end up doing an entire scene and giving your all 
And then they're like, okay, we want to reset. We want to do that again, or we want to explore more ideas. And the reason for that is I have always loved that idea of theater, a theatrical kind of acting. So when I was very young, I watched Citizen Kane and I love the fact that when Orson Welles made that movie, he did it like theater. So you had 10, 12 minutes of a scene that were all purposely recorded as if it was a theater performance. So the actors were really giving it their all. It wasn't a case of do those three lines, then stop. We'll reset the scene. We'll turn around. We'll do something else. And for me, that's kind of the worst part is when you have to stop what you're doing. And that's why, I mean, I've, I've been blessed to do a small bit of theatre. That's what I love about the theatre is the idea that the audience are there, the lights are there, you get out on stage and nobody's going to tell you to cut for about an hour and a half. You're just going to, you know, be able to go through with the whole play and do the whole thing. So, so you're you, much more into having like the extended in-character mode as a one-off as opposed to reiteration and over you know taking multiple takes multiple angles etc to get the right of you know performance you want to nail it the first time and be like fuck you that was it yeah yeah oh i i i love i love like uh jonathan brakes who played william Riker on star trek the next generation he used to he had a famous one where people who worked with him used to call him and they probably still do they used to call him two takes freaks so the idea was that as a director he would shoot everything once, do it again for luck, and then go, right, that's it, move on. But then I would shoot with people who would have me doing the same scene six, seven, eight, nine times. Mm. And by the end of it, you were giving, because obviously, if you care about what you're doing, you research prior to doing the role. You don't just turn up and go, I'll do it on the night. You obviously research and you get into the head of the character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I love most about people like Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio or probably oh, who take more it to like the extreme. Yeah. To an extent, they start to like, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis goes overboard to a certain extent, but when you start to live that character, when you start to become that person and I truly believe from the performances I've seen them give, I have to imagine that it works because they believe that they are that character and they I think that for the cost is and you know it, it's it's one thing you do and I, I can say exactly what you're saying by that way and it's it's yeah it's where you you know some of them will stay in that character even during the breaks yes they are in that character from the minute that film starts to the minute the film finishes um so no i know exactly where you come from but to not your i was i was interested when you were saying the takes because to not that upper level uh, really annoyance is when you've done all those takes time, time, time again, and then you watch the film, it's actually been cut. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the biggest kick in the bollocks from what you were saying now. That, no, that is when you watch a film back and you go, where is my performance? I did a film a couple of years ago, actually a film that you were in, Wayne Thompson, oh? and, you, and you were the best thing in that film. And unbeknownst to you, I think maybe until now, I actually shot several scenes on camera in that film, and every one of those scenes was cut, and that was Fog Island. Oh, um, right. Yeah, yeah. I was. I, was actually, <laughs> I didn't actually know you were in Fog Island. I was in. My voice is still in Fog Island. I am credited on IMDb that my voice 
is still in Fog Island because I helped them secure the location because it was the old YMCA studio where I worked at the time. And I helped them secure oh, that location. You're saying that was the best thing in that film. I was you you were hands down the best thing I was in that film. Bloody drunk. But you were fantastic <laughs> at what you were doing because you cared enough to put your mind to it. But do you know what the best thing about that was, though? I was going on holiday yeah. the next day, so they didn't get the film, the ending, and they couldn't even be bought to film it after I came back. So the ending made no sense. Because I think <laughs> I was actually meant to be the killer. Or something like, oh, I was meant to be found killed one or two. And then well, it yeah, I I ended up, I mean, I filmed a couple of scenes because the idea is that for those who have never seen this film and please God, do not seek it 99% out. 99% of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a copy of the film and I lent it to someone I used to work with and he lost it. He lost my only copy of that copy movie. And, um, that might be useful actually because my name is on the credits so I might as well take it for posterity. Oh, um, yeah. But, but basically... Um, I had a role where when the girl who buys the radio station comes to the island, because I'm working... Sorry, I know I shouldn't say about other actors, but that, that one was just, yeah. Well, well, basically, I'm working as a technician at the radio station, and there's a couple of scenes where she's talking to me about a few things, and the reason they can't get off the island is because I'm the one who takes the boat to go back to the mainland for supplies. So there was this whole thing about, well, why can't they just leave the island if they're being terrorized? That just... because, because I take the boat back to the mainland to go look for another transmitter because the radio was broken. Yeah, because they didn't fully explain why. And I was left wondering why that. Now, well, there, there you go. Ten years later, you finally get your answer. But what, what's <laughs> interesting about that, the, re- the reason I said that about the actor, I, I, you know, she, she, she did do some iPods. I'm, I'm not going to... The reason I said it was because it takes me back to something what me and Hans come across quite a lot in the micro budget of filmmaking. And that I remember that girl, she was doing, she was, she was doing, doing a scene and she basically turned around and says, Should I get the kids out and make the film look better? And she actually did it. Yeah. They did the show scene where she was naked and got tits right. And it was if, if I, pointless. If, they didn't even need to do it, it was pointless. If I if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, and and I mean, if this isn't true, and if I research and find this isn't true, please edit this comment out. But <laughs> if I remember correctly, she'd recently had cosmetic surgery to yeah. enhance her body, yeah. and she had insisted upon the inclusion of that scene. She did because she in. she yeah because she wanted others to be able to go. Oh, great! We can hire her because she has you know. She has the chest to go with the performance. And I'm like, what? Oh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Totally. Tatas. Yeah, there's a weird, I'm just going to say real quick, there's a very weird thing where, you know, it should be technically when you're making films, non-pornographic films, even if there's a little bit of flesh shown in them, there should be an element of desexualization. You know what I mean? Yes. It's all about the film itself. But I've come across when I'm doing like castings and things like that. Why I brought it up. Some some women have literally thrown themselves just going, I don't really want to do this unless I'm getting my tits out or if we can. I'll, I'm, I want to do full frontal like as if they think that's going to make their career more successful. But at the same time, I would never take advantage of that. And I always be kind of like, I'm sorry, that's not this the kind of movie we're making. 
but there will be a selection of people that have taken that shit and went, okay, yeah, let's run with that. And, you know, those few people on the producing side who take advantage of situations like that and the few girls who do want to be pushing themselves forward from a physical standpoint as opposed to an acting standpoint have ruined it for everybody else. And that's why casting couch situations are such a minefield as an actor. You're afraid to go. Well, how do I know this person's on the level as a producer? You're terrified to even talk to someone because you're close to them because they might think I'm coming on to them or something. Uh, and it yeah, should be more yeah. business as usual. It's a, it's a real shame. A couple of bad apples ruin the batch. I, uh, I so tip. Yeah. Sorry, man, go on. No, I just, I, I agree with you. I think that as much as there are some women who, to an extent, maybe it's a release for them, maybe it's a bit of a buzz, maybe it's a thrill to sort of go that bit further and go, hey, you know, I'll do full frontal nudity in this film. There is that then counter argument, of course, that there are very unscrupulous individuals will mm-hmm. take advantage of that. And that is on, that is so in much the same way as some people do want to, you know, gravitate towards those roles for, dare I say it, some kind of uh, liberation for themselves, their own personal, you know, kind of achievement and body confidence. There are unfortunately those who are constantly or have been documented to take advantage of that sadly yeah and one of the worst sides of the thing is if you really start thinking about this rabbit hole how, how do we know that those women that were basically being like i i'm not only happy to do full frontal i'm i'm preferring it can we change the script i can get my tits out can we add yeah. that yeah how do we know that's not literally in reaction to someone who has already taken advantage and soured that person's mind frame well that's yes, it's, that's, it's, yeah. it's, that's, a, that's it's exactly a exactly because like we were saying that or sometimes what i found in my experience is is that if they all of a sudden kind of want to ramp up or add scenes in like that. They'll try and mask it quite often in mm. a very pseudo-creative way. So they'll say things like, you know, you, you've probably shot this scene God knows how many times, or we've done or we've established the build-up yeah. a lot of times. Um, on, on retrospect, you know, Tim, I think there should be a sex scene here. And you think, what? <laughs> it's just kind of thrown in. And um, it'll never matter how much you question it or, or just not argue, but just kind of put your case forward. It'll always be a case of no. I think it'll. I think it'll work. I think we should at least try it. I, I think it. You know, and um, I, I think that it, it's awful when you. See it. I mean, you you see it all the time, don't you? Where it's just kind of put in, shot there, mm-hmm. and it hasn't related or remotely correlated to the rest of the piece. I I a hundred percent agree with you. And in fact, uh, I will go so far as to say, and again, I I can't really name names because that's not fair. But there is one director I'm thinking of, obviously, who has nothing to do I'd with I'd rather you podcast. don't mention names, but I know who you're no, talking about. No, 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 of course. But he is uh, he is an individual who almost within the community has now become synonymous for this idea, but for absolutely no reason at all. And I remember there was a film we were doing, and there was basically a scene where there were two characters on the bed, and they are discussing the disappearance of another character to try and be as vague as possible. And it was a man and a woman, and they're discussing the disappearance of another character. And for a moment, there's a break in the scene and there's a bit of a, you know, a couple of talking back and forth. And he says, we're going to do that again. But he says, maybe if the girl could have her top off. And so during this, and there was absolutely no reason for that to happen. There was no reason for her to be topless 
other than the fact that it lent itself almost to does that immediately get half of you know or or a percentage of the audience's attention do they suddenly think oh wow you know now i'll pay attention what the hell are they talking about and i often think that surely that the work should speak for itself if you watch something yeah. like scorsese's wolf of wall street there's a couple of sex scenes in that film but it is beautifully done to such an extent oh, yeah. that the scene for example in which dicaprio and uh Mar- i want to say margot, margot robbie. robbie yes yeah. the scene in which dicaprio and margot robbie basically in which uh they have sex for the last time so she says to him all right come on then we'll have sex for the last time and it's so well done because he thinks he's in control in his own mind, but it's all about her sort of, you know, dominating that scene and kind of taking over that point of the story. And so from the audience's perspective, DiCaprio's character is now worthless, but it's it's so well done. It's turned on its head. Oh, there's but, plenty of examples yeah. where nudity can help sell a sequence. I, yes. I think we're more pointing out just when it's completely arbitrary and oh, sure, clearly sure. thrown in there for nothing more than let's just get this girl's top off and then, you know, hey, a couple of thrills needlessly. And again, it's a weird side from the actor standpoint that some women want to do that. Other women would be terrified to do it, but feel compelled to do it. And it's just yes. a needless. I, I'm all for intimacy directors and all that shit on set if it makes people more comfortable but it's a, it's a strange back and forth i've seen over the last 10 years with this stuff i mean quickly, yeah quickly, quick, sorry quickly going back quickly going back to the fuck end, what i will say in defense of the actual filmmakers is i actually know the filmmakers very well and they would not have actually even thought of doing a scene like that so no 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 that's please, true and that, I do yeah, not that want them to be looked upon on a bad light for that discussion that was no, only no the no. actor who wanted to do that and she pushed to do that for her own vanity and career and uh, absolutely and yeah on the no second note, the the there is one good reason to watch that film and that's the effects are quite good in that film i wonder who did those effects I don't know. <laughs> not sure actually <laughs> <laughs> I took that one up. Oh yeah, we'll look that one up. Uh, so Tim, going back to the original question, as when you've done acting and also you work with actors, what's your favorite and least favorite part about the acting process? Uh, I think there's definitely for me, there's definitely more favorites of it. I, I think it in, in every project that I, I I used to turn up to, it was just uh, you you were just starting from a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um it was it was just you were just free to play and you just just free to roam you, you know you, you, the character ex- exploration is was always my own i was lucky enough to never have any direct interference or involvement directly whether that from, from being a writer a studio a director anything they they were ready to see what i kind of brought you know to the to the table on my first take um and it, it is that you know it's 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 very similar to what was said before it's just being free just to run around and then <laughs> try things. I was never afraid to fail. Um, mm-hmm. If if I didn't get any criticism, I it would it would unsettle me a bit. Um, it, I, I wouldn't feel very, you know, maybe feel very comfortable. Um, it never gave me a big head because no one's perfect. I'd, I'd be I'd be sitting there. You, you do something and then they go, oh, that's that was brilliant. Thank you. Take it as constructive, don't we? As, as actors, yeah. we take every kind of criticism as constructive. If it's good, we know to do that next time because it's going to help yeah. us. If it's bad, we know to change it to make it better. 
And yeah, for me personally, and I'm sure you're probably the same term and win. If somebody turns around and says that's the perfect role you've ever done, what's the point of doing anymore? You you get to where you want to be. You'll never ever be the perfect actor because you'll always be reaching to what you feel is the perfect. Yeah, and everything as yeah. you, as you all know, everything will always need for whatever reason reshot. Or, or whatever. So when they said, right, brilliant, we have, you know, and I did hear someone say this once, oh, that's great, um, you know, the need to revisit that. I used to think, well, I might as well tear it up then. But no, that was, um, but no, I mean, obviously I'm talking about the, the best here, so it, it is It is genuinely, um, and it, it all rolls, it's like your first day at work, isn't it? Kind of everything you go on to, you, you know, you, you're very lucky to meet new people and, and, mm-hmm. And, and learn of how people work um and yeah it is the fact it's, it's the one thing I, I think i can safely say where you are just allowed to kind of turn up and fall flat on your face or fly yeah you know and it's yeah. brilliant and, you, and you're not you're not condemned or or you know for, for, for doing that um that, that, that's what that's definitely my favorite um about it um, I, th- I think the worst, I mean, I- I've got to kind of watch how I approach this because every, a- every, every, actor has, <laughs> every actor has their own approach and their own, you know, if, if they want to call it a method or, or whatever. Um, but I, when I first came in to do this, I, I kind of knew I wanted to do this from, from a fairly young age. So I, I was going into, I'm, I'm, from, um, yeah, I'm from just outside Ipswich, down south originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to my local college to start this um, a performing arts course. It went on for two years, and I was kind of walking into a room full of people who already had kind of a, a modicum of um, extracurricular stuff under their belts. You know, they, they'd been, they'd had little extra parts on film sets, and uh, you know, a couple of them had been on the West End and that sort of thing. But there seemed to be this culture which really confused me. I'm from a very humble background, and and you know, I I'm, I was quite a cat. I still am quite quiet. But there was there was this this weird atmosphere of this need to kind of um, warm warm yourself up doing very silly things. This has been this has been something which I've never which I've always you know and it, and it went from kind of a slight annoyance to and it and it manifested itself into a genuine hatred um, that I that I've got of it. Um, a lot of my a lot of the parts I had when I moved to the northeast. I, I don't know whether this is because of my my accent or build or whatever. It was predominantly villain roles, um, and whether mainly on stage, I would kind of warm myself up to a point where I'd be red, angry, sweating, and go and do it. But none of that was by playing Ring Around the Roses or, or Pass the Parcel or anything like that. That kind of Yeah. And, you know, and they, they, but they, they'd always kind of expect you to, to partake in it. We're going to have a quick game of, um, of dodgeball. You know, do you want to join? And there's there's me with my with my with my ciggy at the time and my coffee and just thinking no I'll just I'll just stand here and just do it I'm all right I'm, I, don't, I don't want to do it. You know? So you don't like the fun and games aspect of the drama school teachings and no, I, I no, think no I mean this again is it, it's entirely down to taste isn't it and and an opinion but it's it, it's never really helped me 
I have, you know, I don't stand there and argue. I, I, do, I, did, I did join in and I did take part, but... It, you it, thought it was it, stupid. Yeah, it never enhanced me. It's and okay. I, I'll, I'll answer Tim's side for him. Yeah, it was fucking stupid, yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, mean, I did what I got to do to stick with my peeps. It's like I've worked Screen yeah. Factory. I've been there now for like eight years, and every year they say the same thing. Don't forget one voice up, guys. So when you're driving down the screen back, you go to all these silly things. Fuck that. When I'm driving down the screen back, yeah, I'm thrashing out the metal. I'm like, man, I want you know, to You get down there, and I, do you know what the best of it is? I still outlast all the youngins. Well, you lose my voice. This is the thing. I did a, um, I, I did a, it was where it was, it was kind of size wise, it was of, of medium range, I'd say, but I did a production of uh, not the musical, I did a, a, a stage version of uh, of Oliver Twist years ago. Mm. And I was cast as Bill Sykes. And and I can remember I I went in, uh, my rehearsal slot was it was very weird. It was it was the only play I've ever done where the rehearsal schedule was actually done like a fit like a like a film set. Mm. Um, it wasn't never rehearsed from start to finish. We, we, were, we were very close to, to the opening night here. Um, but they were always, you know, oh, you know, Tim, we're going to get you in maybe start at two o'clock tomorrow afternoon, um, you know, kind of after the rest have come off. So, yeah, fair enough. And I remember I could just hear, I, I thought, well, I've, the, the scene I'm doing is the scene where he catches up to Nancy on the bridge, you know, and, and, uh, and he, 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 ends up, he ends up killing her, his mm. partner. So I thought, well, I'm going to give this some this some oomph. So I went into my dressing room and I, I just kind of warmed myself up by I was I was screaming at myself in a mirror. I had my makeup on, my costume. I had my you know Sykes's signature wooden stick that he carried around with him, and I think I ended up putting a hole in the wall because I got myself <laughs> to a point. I got myself to a point where I was thinking, oh, this is this is just going to be beautiful. I'm, I'm going to do this, and I came out after he said he was ready for me. And the rest of the cast were on the stage, just kind of going, you know, and waving their arms around. And it took me completely out of, yeah. the, out of the zone yeah. to do it. And I was thinking, that's not, I think I was the only one that was sweating. And I was thinking, <laughs> warm up. Yeah. So I was like, so that no, is my yeah. worst. Yeah, that is my worst. This this kind of culture of. I mean, again, I haven't been. I mean, you know, I'm going to hold my hands up here, guys. I I haven't been in an or as an actor an audition setting in in probably pushing seven or eight years now. So maybe with, with the good grace of God, that culture might have now finally been been killed off. Uh, but, um, not not. <laughs> yeah, no. But in in film, it's not so bad. No, uh, no in films not so bad, but theatre still tends to have that. Yeah, let's let the idiots for half an hour first. Yeah, let's well, shake out the it. sillies before we get going. Yeah, I've just banned it in stuff I've in stuff I've <laughs> and taken the festivals or or stuff that I I've, I've shot. It it's done. I've I've just said you know obviously I, I want you there ready to work, and that's it. Yeah. The, the thing is, as Tim said, sorry, Tim, it's uh, everyone's got their different styles. And I think yeah. things like that exist in the way that like if I was in a I look at everything related to sex. That's just the way my mind works. So I like know that. Well, not by not no, by well, actual most people, I think, that. who listen to this show know it by now. For example, uh, I want to achieve 
going to make a film and getting the best out of my actors. When I look at all that like foreplay. Now, when it comes to actually like doing a scene, I look at that like, right, I want to go talk to that girl. So I'm going to go over and talk to that girl. It's that simple. I'm going to make her want to come home with me. Most people can't go and talk to a girl without a little bit of like, how do I overcome my internal barriers? So they have a couple of drinks and so on. And I look at this whole shake out the sillies bullshit and do these fun little games and oh, massage the muscles in your face and all that. That's like that's like uh, physical alcohol to in- loosen your inhibitions as an actor, loosen your nerves. For some people need that and other people can just get straight in there and go in and just go, I know what I'm looking to do. I know what I want to do. I'm going to accomplish it. Other people are like, yeah, I want to do this, but I don't know if I can. And oh, now we're shaking our sillies. Yeah. Oh, we're all the same page. We're all equal now. We're all made fun of each other. Okay, now let's do it. And it's different. People have different methods of working, you know? Yeah, yeah, precisely. You know, or they'll say to you, you know, well, I think you really should warm up because you might not have enough energy for when you perform. Well, that's that's for the director to tell me that. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's not that. You know, that's not. Uh, I don't really see. You know, games of what you know, what, what, what the game's called, Funny Duck or something. Or you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know how that's going to help me remotely. I really don't. It does help people. I don't know whether that's just ingrained in people. You know, people have told themselves it does help them. I've 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 seen I've seen better exercises. There was a there was a drama group I was a part of many many years ago in Dublin, and they came up with this thing, which probably wasn't their idea or wasn't as revolutionary as I believed it was at the time. But it was called the Fight Club Drama Exercise, and what it was was basically it was improv, and you would get two or three actors together, and you would allow them to come up with their own little script within their own little scene. So whether like two or three of us would all plan on getting the same bus at the same time and at different stops. And Mm -hmm. when we get on the bus, we pretend that we didn't know each other. Uh, Sorry, that we did know each other, but you know, other people on the bus hadn't a clue what was going on. And we'd start this like kind of mad scene. And so the idea was to act out a piece for about five or 10 minutes cause some sort of a commotion all go our separate ways but then obviously report back to the group as a whole as to how the audience how these people interpreted it so it was a sort of a form of street theater and it was all about like confidence building and stuff like that um and i always thought it was it was like the most interesting thing that i'd ever done at the time because again it was this idea of building on First of all, acting on your feet. If there was like, if somebody suddenly got involved and went, oh, keep away from that man or what are you harassing that girl for? You know, that suddenly, you know, they didn't realize it was a play and all that. And I found that a lot more productive, as you say, then let's all limber up. Let's do some jumping. So it was jacks just kind or- of avant-garde improv with notes. Yeah, well, well, in a sense, yeah, but it was working hmm. together in those small groups that you get to know each other better. And because it was improv, you were feeding off the energy of the fact that, let's say for argument's sake, you're on a bus and you're having an argument and, you know, I get on the bus and I see this guy and this girl sitting together and suddenly I'm going to say that the girl is my girlfriend and what the hell is she doing with this other guy and how the hell could you cheat on me like this and i thought we were really something together but then obviously you're pushing off the energy of the fact that you realize you're causing a commotion and everyone is looking at you and um and you're throwing little things in depending on what they say back to you and how exactly they react and that kind of thing mm-hmm. 
God, all I can think when I hear that is you're sitting on a bus and these two people are having a bit of a squabble. You're trying not to pay attention. And then in comes Madden. He's just freaking about being his girlfriend. You're sitting there going, oh, no, it's going to turn into a fight. And it escalates and escalates. And then as they get to the stop, they all stand up and bow and go and scene. <laughs> and the whole bus is just like, um, what do we applaud or <laughs> what the fuck is going on? It's <laughs> all no, I can see uh... in my brain. Yeah, no, we, we never did that. I th- I, I, there was one occasion in which I know for a fact that two of the lads were arrested in town because it got <laughs> that bad that someone called the police. Um, and then there was another one. In oh, which, that's um, acting. Well, that's it. That's the, <laughs> that's the actor's art, you know, that you were arrested. But um, there was at least one occasion in which we were thrown off the bus at one point that the driver just stopped the bus and went right that ticket off the lot of you. I don't care what your problem is. I don't want you on my route and just continue driving down the road. It was, you know, in some ways very funny. You thought, oh, he found that very believable. <laughs> it is strange because, I mean, I, I don't know if, surely I'm, I'm, I'm imagine you guys are aware, but like Anthony Hopkins is, is a famous, uh, he, he's, a, he's a guy for famously not, not, not liking rehearsals. He absolutely mm. hates rehearsals, and it, it mm. stems exactly from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read, I read a piece that he he, he wrote, and he said, um, I think he was in something with with John Hurt on stage many years ago, and he was just sitting, Hopkins, just on on the steps of the stage, just reading through calmly with a cup of coffee, just minding his own business. And someone did actually approach him from from the the kind of the, the directing staff and just said. Right, we, we, um, we get, the cast are going to be all gathering on stage just for a, a debrief, but we're going to do a warm-up. Um, Anthony, would you like to join us? And he just writes at the end of this piece, he turned around and just says, why has someone turned the fucking heating off? <laughs> 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 you know, and it just stems from that. It was on, a, yeah. you know, I think it was on a, a DVD extra of, you know, the, the Dracula movie he did. Mm. Oh and, yes, and there is some there is some footage. Francis Ford uh, Coppola is is quite even with his films. He does like to have actors kind of block out the scenes, and you just see this behind the scenes footage of Anthony Hopkins just standing at the back of the room, just kind of looking at him, just thinking, Jesus Christ. And he says it on there, and his interview, he just says, "I've never liked it. I've never enjoyed it. I don't know why people do it." <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, it just, it's, it's this thing that kind of stems through the industry, I think. I think it's its something that's never going to end, isn't it? You know. That's it. You, you either have it or you do not. And you, my young friend, do not have... Hold on, I need to finish that thought. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll tell you, I, I love a quote from David Fincher about actors, uh, which is that the best way to get everything you need from an actor is just to treat them like dogs. Let them smell your hand and know that you're safe and that you're not leading them to anywhere bad and that if they do good, they'll get treats. And I think that's really true. When I look at actors, when I when I work with actors, I always just want them to do what I want them to do and I make them feel comfortable to do it. Um, do you feel as an actor to... Uh, well, I'll start with Wayne, uh, Wayne Thompson. As an actor, do you feel well, it's your duty to listen to the director or is it your duty to surprise the director? Well, I don't get the questions right. I just said this is to you. No, no, the other questions. I thought you already did them. Go on, then. Sorry. Uh, you, know I mean? you know what I mean? I get licked as usual. There was so much talking. I don't know who answered. <laughs> well, <it's different. laughs> I know Tim was all like, fuck all this new age dancing, high class, upper class shit. That's I, I took what you said and cleaned up a little, Tim. Sorry. 
uh, and Madden doesn't like getting multiple takes. You shouldn't work with me, son. I'll make you do yeah. shit 30, 40 times. That's just how I roll. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I know what I want to see. Uh, go on, Wade. I'm sorry. Answer the question. My bad. I'm in total agreement with the warm ups. And, um, you know, um, as for the tier set, it doesn't bother me. You guys do as many as you want. But for me, the best part of acting is just fun. Basically, it is just you get to be somebody different. You get to be somebody who you're not. You get to do some very things you would never in your life ever get to do. Um, you know, so it's just pure fun for me. The worst thing for me is when a director, especially auditions, turns around and says, Son, be yourself. No, I will not be me fucking self. I'm an actor, you prick. I want to be myself. I go and do a normal fucking job. You know, it's like, why do you want to? Why do you ask an actor to come and be the fucking selves? No, I hate it. It drives me. <laughs> why do we work together so much, Wayne? Because I tell people to be themselves a lot, and it does get me a little bit. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's quite a few times I pull back to the sciences. No, just do this and do that, and do this and do that. Oh, is that why they started being crap all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, right. Okay, I'm going to say real quick. In my opinion, there are two kinds of actors, right? There are actors who are actually good at acting, and there are actors who just have interesting personalities, and that translates well to watching them play a character. For example, I don't think Peter Starmay can act to save his fucking life, but mm -hmm. I love watching him in anything because he's a fascinating person to look at. Steve Buscemi is a mix He's got kind of, he can act a bit, but he's just such a unique individual. You just want him to be Steve Buscemi in every fucking role he's in. Just various levels of Steve Buscemi. Nicolas Cage, various levels of Nicolas Cage. I don't think he can act, but he no. can act like Nicolas Cage. Those are the guys I would say, be yourself, because I want to see your actual personality in this character. Other people, you have to make them fit to the role. And they have to learn how to act to the role. And some people can do that. Some people can't. Um, that's why I sometimes say to people, be yourself. It's because I know their personality will shine through if they let it shine through. And they don't try to play a character that doesn't fit their personality. Uh, I would I would look at it as a horses for courses scenario. Uh, but any, any good actor will know which roles not to go for and which roles to go for. Though. I don't disagree with that at all. However... As you know, as well as I do, if you put out a casting call tomorrow and say, I want an 18 to 29 year old uh, oh, black man to play this role, you will get yeah. 55 year old women applying for it. Yeah. Actors will just apply for fucking anything. They don't know Which if they're good news. I don't understand and will never understand. Yeah, this is why I said there's two kinds of actors in my eyes. Uh, Tim, that, yeah. do you feel uh, agree or disagree with that statement? Two kinds of actors. No, I do. I, I do agree with that. Yeah, completely. Um, I think your last point you made there about people applying for things which they, which they kind of know. You know Clearly I mean, shouldn't be applying I, for. I have done, you know, I think, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very guilty of it in the past. And in some cases I did land on my feet. Um, but I think when you do that, you're just completely throwing yourself at the mercy of others, aren't you? I mean, I know we are as actors and, and you know whatever you are in the in, you know in the business as people talk you know say it it's you're leaving yourself wide open in scenarios mm. like that um i think i think one thing i went for once 
the, the, the spec was me down to a T on everything I was reading. Then right at the end, it said something like, um, must have a, must hold a high level in horse riding. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but I, I went for it. I went, oh, brilliant. Sent it in. Um, and I got the part. And it just so happens that every single scene in which my character was on a horse wasn't happening anymore. Oh, that was lucky. So went, wow. And you wouldn't believe, because th- I saw the schedule, and as it was getting closer and closer to the day that I was on horseback, my my anxiety was just going <laughs> full throttle. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, God, this is it. This is it. I'm going to have to just get on the horse, and if I fall off, I'll fall off. That's, that's, this is the one way you And it never happened. So there's an argument to be made, I think, where when you're going for casting calls, ye- I have been more inclined to to take a risk. Mm-hmm. But I agree with taking a risk, Tim. I do. Uh, I think what I think what I mean is like going back to what Andrew said there is you would you yourself would not go for an eight-year-old role. Oh cool, no. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, but I mean also also a lot of people at the same time, Wayne, just don't think. No, they don't. Yeah, no, no the true. They just, they just don't think. What do you agree? They're so desperate as well just to get a roller. Yeah, precisely. You know, they've dried up for the last six months and they're just desperate to get the teeth or something. Yeah, but and it is. What they don't understand is that they're tarnishing themselves because of frustrates directors. Oh, it does, yeah. As you know yourself, you would, you've directed some yourself. And it, it, you know, once somebody's done that to you, you think, well, are we really? Yeah, and it's happened to me. But that has happened to me before. And unfortunately, when that happens, you, you that when it does happen, in my case, it's just been my luck that we've been very near a deadline. So unfortunately, you're stuck with him or her. Mm. Yeah, we've had that as well. Brilliant. So, you know, it's it's a big shame, and it is one of the, it's one of the things that that tarnishes it. You'd like to think the people that do do this and make a show of themselves and the writers and directors they're working with, you like to think down the line, it'll, it'll kind of bite them in the ass. Um, but unfortunately, luck is on people's sides, you know, and it, and it, and it doesn't. Um, I've got to be honest with you, I think on, I think on that film years ago, that the, the, they took one look at me and just thought, he's never ridden a horse in his life, surely. <laughs> never I've never been, you know, I've always been quite a short bloke. I don't think, even though I'm no didn't top. have the hips for it. They were like, yeah, no, they, I don't know. No, not at all. But no, I do agree with that completely. There's, there's definitely two types. I think, I do think the ones that do it, there's positives, there's positives and negatives on both halves, I think. That's oh, yeah. I yeah. Think doing it by the book is, is brilliant, but I think you need to leave yourself a bit of room um, for risks and just be a bit of, a, you know, just, just be a, just be brave, kind of, in some cases. But you've got to... Not- yeah, I mean, that is, isn't it? It's about taking risks, it's about being yeah. brave, it's about doing something. Like I said, mine, the favourite part is being somebody I'm not doing stuff I would never, ever have the chance to have a go at mm-hmm. so you know I, I totally agree with that yeah see i feel um, like the three of you are the kind of actors who are much more character actor in the sense that you would try to transform yourself into that role yeah. and Mess then that. you'd be that character in that scenario whereas i'm the kind of actor where i'm just going to be myself because i have a very was- large personality in and i'm just going to transplant that into this scenario as opposed to a character i just changed my name that's also largely due to the fact you've never classed yourself as an actor no no i just jump in where i have to and yeah, yeah uh, i would never want to 
assume that I would excel in taking on a role where I have to, I don't know, play a four foot black dude or something. I but there's a lot of actors who could do that. You know what I mean? I think it's indicative of, of today's day and age where, you know, studios are not taking chances. But when you look at major motion pictures, naturally, everybody wants um, nobody wants to take a gamble. Everyone wants a dedicated return. So years ago, and, and I, I, I spoke about this on a, another show that I do with a guy recently, we were having a chat about wrestlers and movies. And we were saying, like, when Hulk Hogan was first in Suburban Commando back in the 90s, <laughs> people went to see that film, not because... And to me, Suburban Commando has Christopher Lloyd and it's a decent film to an extent. It's a bit of mindless, you know, you watch it on a, an afternoon and you have a bit of, it's a kid's movie, it's fun. But people went to see that film because of Hulk Hogan, end of story. And so nowadays you have a lot of that situation where you take these larger than life characters and you just transplant them into the situation. And mm-hmm. that's because them in that role. I mean, I, I recently heard that The Rock is going to do big trouble in Little China. Yeah. yeah. yeah I not, mean, that, to, to me, I'm like, that. what the hell? <laughs> but yeah. that's The Rock all over, though. He's a fucking asshole. But, but The I'm Rock, the rock is, but you see, The Rock is the highest grossing male actor, I believe, at the moment in Hollywood. The man earning more than anyone possibly or he's up in the top five at least and even aside from that it doesn't matter what role he plays it really doesn't because ultimately all that matters is he's the rock because this is this is as i was saying about the two kinds of actors when the rock first got into acting you could see he was really trying to be an actor actor he was doing things like walking tall and shit like that and then someone, they must have just clicked with him one day. Wait a minute. Why don't I just fucking do what I did in the wrestling ring? And since then, he's been the same guy in everything oh, he's ever done, with the exception of little bits like maybe Be Cool. He was a bit different in that. Um, but for the most part, he's just The Rock is The Rock playing The Rock. But we're going to call him John. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? I, I would I would agree with you. And I would also say that like the same thing has happened with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is it mm. I love Arnie. I have nothing but respect for Arnold Schwarzenegger. However, he is it's it's like it's like Stallone. It's like Stallone. Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis. They are only in those movies because they are those men. Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. Who wouldn't? The funny thing is, though, like people like, for example, the late Robin Williams. Oh, did, now that was an actor. Now, now Wait. that that he was a phenomenal actor. He was. But I, I wonder, did Robin Williams then achieve those couple of golden years in which he was bringing out Hook and in which he was, you know, just th- there was just so many incredible performances, Aladdin and a couple of other bits and pieces that he did. But was it a case that Mrs. Doubtfire, for example, that at that point, people went, like Tim has said earlier, someone went, you will never surpass this. And did Robin Williams think, well, I might as well just tear it up and throw it away. Did someone say that to Bruce Willis? Did someone say that to Nicolas Cage and go, you'll never, you'll never surpass this. This is you. Because, and again, as Tim said at the very start of the show, a fantastic point about Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio, very good actor in his early days, 
but managed to turn things on its head, a very different actor for very good reasons nowadays, and has tried to improve himself. If someone had said to Leonardo DiCaprio, Titanic, man, the amount of Oscars it won, you will never beat that. And if DiCaprio had went, okay, fair enough, all I need to do is phone it in for the rest of my life, we would have never got performances like Wolf of Wall Street and The Reverend. The thing is, just uh, talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, I find him a fascinating individual because I think that his problem was he was too good looking because he started out as an actor's actor, even from a child. What's eating Gilbert Grape? He's fucking phenomenal. Basketball Diaries. He's fucking phenomenal. And then there's this gap of movies for about eight years where he's just a pretty boy who's just there to look attractive. He doesn't do any acting of any kind, practically. Which is, he's a, yeah, we're, he's we're, a cardboard yeah. cutout of the teen heartthrob, and then suddenly he disappears, and then comes back with shit like look like the scene in Django and Chain where he broke the fucking glass and kept yeah. in character, and it's in the movie yeah. as he bleeds on people. That's fucking outrageous. And the Revenant, talk about yeah. pushing yourself to your limits. This is a guy who was like. <laughs> You think I'm too pretty, huh? I'll fucking show y'all. Oh, I, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, he's he's in a film that still remains one of my favorites of all time. I mean, he's done a lot of films that are in my favorites of all time. But he did a film called Once Upon a Time in the West. And, oh, yeah. Um, it, obviously, Sharon Stone was in that. And um, you're not I, talking about Once Upon a Time in no, the West. You're talking about The Quick yeah, and the Dead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I, I am yeah. speaking about Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead. Fantastic right. movie. And, and it's a great film. And it's just uh, an entire sort of, you know, that entire film is just a great example of, of kind of a, you know, it's a great example of a period piece. It's a great example of a 90s film. But it's just, again, it's one of those things where you look at it and go, yes, all Leonardo DiCaprio sort of does, and that is he's just this little pretty boy and he has a tragic death. And However, he does it well in that He one. does. No, 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 I, I agree. I'm saying he's... he's got, he, he, not only did he have the pretty boy, he brought an arrogance to it as well, which he didn't really do in, like, what happened. So he didn't really do in the other films. I mean, the, the thing... He did with this one. He was a very arrogant, or oh, I'm the best, I'm the... He actually produced that the thing is the thing is for me i think like you look at a film like titanic and you look at jack dawson jack dawson i think is a far more complex character than people like to make out and james cameron being the genius that he is there's so many layers in that film that you can take so many meanings from it in Mm. the same way that you could walk away with so many meanings from avatar Mm. and i i I would like to think i would like to hope well, yes, all right, but I, but I would, I would like to think that you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, he, you know, learned from his directors that he took as much as he could and soaked it in like a sponge, and that everyone he works with, he takes that little bit from them. Uh, Jim Carrey is a fantastic example of that. Uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Carrey. I'm always sad he never got to really shine in more dramatic roles. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw him in The Majestic, but he I was did. phenomenal yeah. in The Majestic. Phenomenal film, great film, great yeah, film. really good movie. Yeah, and yet it's like one. Everyone knows the Truman Show because it was kind of yes. half way between comedy and drama. It was the dramedy. Um, Majestic was a straight drama with a couple of little jokes thrown in. And he fucking excelled in it, but I guess it didn't make any box office. So he's back to play with penguins and remakes of Dick and Jane afterward. And I think that's a fucking sad thing. Yeah. Yeah. What was that, Wayne? Number 23. 
Yes, Number, I thought yes. he was really good in that. That yeah. was another good movie. I mean, it, well, it wasn't a great movie, but it was a fun movie. He was, yeah, he, yeah. he, he was, was really good in it. Yeah, he yeah. was really good in it. Going back to what you asked early on, Hank, by the way, um, as an actor, me personally, I always go with what the director wants. However, I'm not adverse to maybe making suggestions to a director, but it's always up to the director whether he wants to accept those suggestions or not. Um, and on the reverse of that, as a director, I'm quite happy to listen to suggestions, but I won't always take them on board. If I don't think they'll be what I've got, then I'm not using them. But if I think better is what I'm trying to do, I'm happy to use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how everyone feels about this. This is my main mind frame on it, is I feel like any director should be smart enough to listen to their actors, to hear their opinions about how to better perform their craft. But I also feel they can say yes or no to that. Whereas an actor yeah. should always follow the director, even if they think that's fucking stupid. Yeah. And that's that's just my honest opinion, because I look at some actors and I think there is a person that I fucking hate. They can't do shit. They will never sell me to watch a movie. And then a good director comes along and all of a sudden they give an amazing performance. And I go, Jesus Christ, that can no, be no coincidence. Yeah. Like, I've never liked Naomi Watts. I've always thought she couldn't really act. And I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in king kong directed by peter jackson mm-hmm. and then i saw her in like funny games and i was just like oh boring and i gotta chalk that up to the guy imparted in her how to do that role better i have I, to believe that i i i think i would be with you and i think to a large extent though it also depends on whether the actor has a lot of belief and faith and love in the role and the example I always give, which, yes, I will say before I mention this, yes, it is constantly overhyped because of the fact that he died shortly after it was released. And I understand. Oh, I know that. exactly what you're going to talk However, about. But go on, talk about it. Because it was. Laser genius, we know. No. No. <laughs> No, what I, I wish he I, was going to talk about Brandon Lee. You know who he's going to talk about. I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact that Heath tell Ledger, you how he got these scars. That, yeah, that that Heath Ledger played the Joker, and obviously, I think there's another. Well, there is an example of an actor who. What did I see Heath Ledger in before? A Knight's Tale, and you sort of yeah. looked at it and went, "Yeah, there's Ten another pretty boy." You, shit like that. Yeah, exactly. But the Joker was something that obviously appealed to him on a personal level but it also allowed him to get the most out of himself. It didn't constrain him. And I have always loved projects probably a bit more like theater, which is going back to what I was saying originally, that I've always loved projects where it allows me to get the most out of myself. So one of my favorite things that I ever did in my entire life, and would you believe I can't remember the name of it, but you will hit me. You will hit me and correct me, of course, because you, Henry Thompson, are responsible for it. One of the favorite things that I've ever done in my entire life was a sequence that we filmed on top of a rooftop in... in, um, Broken Heart. Yes, that's right. And I cannot tell you exactly how many years ago that was because my head was all over the place at the time and... I remember very little of it as such, but I remember the feelings that I felt at the time. And I remember how much I was able to identify with that character um, of a police officer, uh, a detective who finds out that his wife has been cheating on him with his partner, uh, who was, of course, played by the the wonderful and um, Academy Award winning Wayne Thompson. And we, we had that beautiful sequence on a real roof. Um, and... You talk about actors, you know, not doing their part. 
isn't it true to say, and again, you know, not naming names because I have no idea who the guy even is, but isn't it true to say that the person you originally envisioned for that role thought it would be green screen? And so when they arrived on set and realized it was a real roof, they were like, no, I'm sorry, I'm scared of heights. I'm going to tell this backstory for everyone. I don't need to turn up. No, no, they did turn up if you remember. What happened is this. I'll explain for everyone. So we were all working nine to five jobs at this point, and we'd arranged a shoot over the weekend, basically um, Saturday at five o'clock. We'd finish work, rush to the place, set up, and by 7 p.m. be filming till about one in the morning when we would get kicked out. This was a council offices over in Allendale uh, yes. in Biker. And yep. it was a beautiful rooftop area where it was um, it was only about a 15, 30 foot drop, something like that. But we had it roughly safe. Never you know, mind, I'm scared of heights. Yeah. That and I had cool. people sitting on because it was a beautiful backdrop where the, in the distance you can see the Millennium Bridge and, and the Baltic and everything. It was all lit up at night. It was gorgeous. It was a great backdrop to have to make it look really like you're really high up because it happened to be on a hill. Um, all practical. None of this green screen shit. And we had two nights we could do it and we weren't allowed back after that. And the first night we got this actor in, who I'm not going to name the name of, and he was terrified of this roof. For some reason, like like Matt and, uh, Wayne said, um, he thought it'd be green screen. So he was really hesitant and nervous about getting near this roof, despite the fact that, you know, everyone, it's like a three foot wide thing you can sit on. You're not going to fall over unless you're literally, your head is made of stone and top heavy. And it was all very safe ish and he just couldn't deal with it and he couldn't get his lines out. And he, he only did about an hour and a half of the shoot. And then he, and then he just basically said, I got to go. Yeah. So we were like, fuck scrambling to figure out what to do. So Madden then says, well, I'll jump in. And we're thinking, well, if you can, and he, he starts to kind of do his lines, but we get kicked out. So the next night we come back and Madden nails it. Every scene he does perfectly. He's fantastic performance. And sadly, we could only get about half of the dialogue shot in the time we were allotted before we got kicked out. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, we need to come back for one more, just one night to finish this. And they wouldn't let us back. So it ended up getting scrapped. Um, but there is original footage still sitting there. Beautiful backdrop. The city's all illuminated. Man's giving it his all. He's co-lit on either side. There's this fantastic soft blue light on the side of him. It's beautiful. Looks great. Great performance. That sadly the world will never see. All because that one actor screwed us. We then discovered how much better Madden could do it, but also we didn't have the time anymore. It's one of those unfortunate you're stuck yeah. having to get the shit done right now or yeah. never. You know, and for, you don't have that luxury that people with money have to just go, I'll just rent it another day. Well, <laughs> well, well, this <laughs> is micro budget for the maintenance hard. Yeah, it micro is. budget yeah. is very difficult when you have an actor walk like that it, it kills everything but it's it's an example there of a role that you can uh become a part of because for me personally that role resonated with a breakup i'd been through recently and there was a lot of things going on in my head about uh, a former partner who cheated on me and a lot of that was going through my head at the time and there was a lot of stuff and it, it almost in a sense, felt like the perfect role for me. It felt like my own. It did. Yes, it felt like cathartic. It felt like my own brand of therapy in the same way that I know Heath Ledger spoke about the custody battle he was having with his daughter and the estrangement Mm. from his wife. And he felt at the same time that the Joker, that sort of thing appealed to him. 
And in one of the few interviews he ever did about the role, he talks about that sort of appeal of that character. Um, I mean, personally, I, I, I know Tim mentioned it a, a while back and he was saying about when he plays the villain. Um, I, I personally love to play the villain, arguably because the villain has more fun. The villain can go further and can. Uh, my belief is that the villain can be a bigger character. I yeah. would love to play someone like the Joker. I'm, I, that, I'm that just going to say real quick, I have yeah. a, a film property I'm trying to get off the ground. It'll take a little while because it needs a budget, but I've already penciled in that Wayne Madden's going to play the villain in it. Oh, yes. Here's yes. something a lot of people don't know about Wayne Madden. Uh, unless you know him very well, is that he's <laughs> literally a walking teddy bear. Okay. He is the nicest guy you will ever meet. He's the kind of dude who will eat shit and tell you what a fucking phenomenal chef you are because <laughs> he just takes the world's abuses and gives nothing back but smiles and happiness. He's a perfect human being. But unfortunately, because we live in a horrible society, a lot of people take advantage of that. And I think growing deep inside him is this need to not be nice and this need to express all that frustration and anger and just give it back with a bit of, you know, vile fucking satanic consistency of, you know, fuck you. Now it's my turn. And that's why he wants to play the villain secretly, because he's too nice to ever be ever anything but a wonderful human being. But unless he's playing a character. Yeah, but but there's a lot. No, no, no. There's a lot of truth in that because there is a lot of truth in that because when you uh, going back to my original comment, when you think about play acting, and when you think about going beyond your boundaries, um, it there is a great catharsis as a minute. And I mean, I don't mind saying to your listeners out there, and and I mean, I honestly don't mind saying to your listeners not to dwell on this, but. You know, I, I've done therapy and, and I've had issues with mental health over the years and I've, I've spoken to therapists. I find actors, however, I find acting a better form of release, a better way of dealing with some of those things for myself, because I find it a lot more cathartic and a lot more enjoyable than I do speaking to a therapist. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, you touched on that earlier before, didn't you, as well? It, it, it's, it's the... Uh, it is it is seen in, in a lot of circles like as a form of therapy as, as a whole. Yes. I, yeah, also, yeah. I also think directing is. Yes. Um, it, it, I've, I mean, I wouldn't say I've, nec I've necessarily used it uh, to, kind of, to, to kind of cope with anything in particular, but it's certainly on a, on a process of directing a, a play or, on, or a, a movie, it's definitely given me kind of an, an, an underlying commentary. Yes. On, on how to cope with things kind of outside of, of that of that working environment, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think it helps you to compartmentalise and it helps you to focus. Um, and you do get challenges. I mean, hearing that story there about, about the guy on the roof, um, that's, that's, that's <laughs> in making a movie, that sort of thing is my worst nightmare. Yeah. You know, and, and it ha that sort of thing has happened to me before. But you just don't lose control. You, you just keep going. You, you try to find a way around it, you know? Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said of that, just kind of in, in your day-to-day -day. As, as well. You know, I, I, think it, I think it really is. It's, we're going back again, aren't we, to this notion of, of turning up with blank canvases and playing to a lot of people. That's, that's mm -hmm. a way of, of, of getting kind of weight off them when, when they walk into whatever you're doing, whether that be a rehearsal studio, a, 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 a film set or whatever. You know, I think I think it's it's such an amazing um, kind of three dimensional 
uh, industry that it, it can be it can be taken taken those those different routes you know mm-hmm. oh absolutely absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. what i find amazing is i mean anybody who truly truly knows me knows that i suffer really badly with confidence yeah i am very often told within this industry that you lose confidence and i'm like <laughs> what are you new well yeah so it's what you learn to do it's what you know it, it's it's what we were born to do i guess in a way um actors are on such a roller coaster life you know and yes i know we could choose other professions i've done other professions you know i've done care and i've been a nurse i've done all sorts but there's something what draws us back to acting or directing or anything like that. And it's it, it's kind of like an adrenaline rush, it's a buzz. I always remember the first time I directed it. It's a funny story because I asked, I just, we just finished filming and uh, a feature film. I, I, I actually, this is when I first met Hank, um, which is a funny story in itself. So I actually turned the lead rule down for the character rule because I knew I could perform it better. He did. And, me personally, I always want the best from the film. I don't care about what will I get. And I think if I think that's going to make the better, I'll do that. Now, when I asked them to direct my short film, I had each turn around, point blankly, no. I'm like, excuse me? I don't think I've done. He says, no, you directed. And I just burst out laughing. <laughs> I remember what I said, dude. Yeah, you were like, I can't fucking direct anything. I'm not a director. I'm an actor. <laughs> What I said was I can't direct the turd down the toilet is what I'd say. And um I you cleaned see, it up he, for you. He, he said, I'll help you. I'll help you, don't worry. And it's the most annoying, worst thing he's ever done because I just got the bug straight away and it's like, right, what am I about next? Ah, let's go with you fucking bastard. Yeah. Hey it's, man, it's just, did you want to eat like a fish drug. or do you want the fish and rod? I can only imagine it being like what taking drugs is like. And, you know, and, once and and I'll, I'll tell you now, Wayne Thompson, the test of fate as a short story is one of the most mesmerizing things I've ever seen. Um, and it's a credit to you. So, you know. What's weird, Wayne, is when you're standing in a massive theater in America and you're having all these questions thrown at you into your first ever film and somebody actually turns around and says, I've never thought in my life a short film could be classed as a film. He says, yeah, you've just proven me wrong. He says, you've told a film and a story in 14 minutes. Yeah. Blew me. Well, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, how do I answer that? Um, um, where's, where's the exit? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I just, I just, for that moment, I was like stunned, absolutely stunned. Um, well, that's it, Wayne. It's all about confidence there. Do you remember the film we did together? Yes, I do. Yeah, and that that was the first film I I did. I, I think I'd been living in Gateshead for three days. Just real quick, Tim, for our audience, what film was that? Uh, three thousand doves. Okay, it was called. Yeah, and that was that. I think. Yeah, I, I hadn't been here long at all, and I got this. I got this casting call directly from the guy that was shooting it. And it was literally a case, if you remember, Wayne, of just that wasn't the whole film just set in his flat. Yeah, yeah, maybe enough, yeah. It was, wasn't it? And I, there's me turning up there. I'm on. I'm walking around a city that I have no idea where I'm going. Um, I have no idea who these people are, but I'm thinking, well, 
you know, taking acting work, this, I mean, God, I, I never thought moving up, I'd get a job that quick. Um, and I went in there and I think I was, I mean, I was nigh on shaking when I walked in. Um, but the way he did it, Wayne, if you remember, we didn't we all, I, I'm sure he just made us all a cup of tea and a coffee, didn't he? And we just sat in his living room. And I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think we all chatted for an hour before we actually did any work. Yeah, oh, that's nice yeah. and relaxing. And it was really, it was a good leveler. I think it only did, what was it, three three or four days? I think the whole shoot was, I think I did, I think I did maybe it was a day and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think all, all told it was like three or four days. Yeah, it was, um, God, it was, it seems like a very long time ago now, but that definitely, I mean, as well as helping me, that I mean, when, when, when you know, the director of a piece you in kind of creates a relaxed environment in the first place, it, it then kind of gave me a bit of a framework and and a more relaxed attitude to because everything I have done up here has been very regional. Yeah, it's all been I haven't really done anything that's been kind of set outside of Newcastle Gateshead. Um, but it, it gave it gave me a very good framework and a very good attitude to going in to jobs, you know. And um, that it was a great icebreaker. I thought Wayne that that job for me anyway, and um, you know meeting meeting all of those. Well, God, I mean, there was only about three or four of us in the film, wasn't there? I think I'm trying to think. There was there was the main guy. There was Terence. There was myself. There was you. And I think there was another young kid, wasn't there? I've seen this film, it and was, I remember the real five people in total. Or something, I think we were. Yes, yeah, we were. We, yeah, we were at university together. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was maybe five of us all together. Wow! Um, yeah, incredible. I mean, what what I what I found surreal about that one was I didn't really know what I was walking in. I was just called in last minute. I think. I think you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing, who I was meant to be, or nothing. And um, when he's asked, when he said, "No, you're going to get shot in the neck and you're going to die," I'm like, "What? Pardon? <laughs> <laughs> just another day of work, ladies and gentlemen." Exactly, exactly. It's just, oh, well, hell, get on with it. Let's just get done. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a good couple of days. That actually, it was good fun. Oh, it was a good laugh. Yeah, it was. Terence actually stays in touch with me quite regularly. Yeah, um, I speak to him as well. Yeah. He's a nice lad, Terry. Yeah, it was good. Great, great fun, that. That's one of the fun things about being an actor that you don't get as much as a crew member is the kind of camaraderie you build with the other actors. And a lot of people do stay in touch Mm -hmm. and keep in touch with each other. I find as crew, you don't normally stay in touch with the actors as much. I don't know if that's just me. Sometimes you do. You know, I actually put that down to the actors sometimes or the crew Mm. themselves because... There's quite a few things I've worked on where I've gotten on really, really well with the crew. And we have state friends where there's some of them that not taught you. Mm-hmm. Um, or the actors won't talk to them. You know, the, I've seen the crew actually go out there and try and talk to actors, but the actors seem to show There seems to be this wall sometimes between cast and crew for some reason. Now, well, I, I think, sorry, go away. I, I think fortunately when we make the films, we don't allow that to happen. Yeah, we try and to be very, bit, very on par with people in front Yeah, it's a bit like the 3000 Dove shoot. You know, he went and was in, and we all got on as a crew cast team together. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think that's the way it should always be. You I, should always be, you know, nobody's, I'm better than nobody else. Nobody's better than me. Nobody's different than me. We're all equal. Why can't we just get on with each other and work well together? You know, I, I've never understood that divide. Never. I do think, depending on the circumstances, there is a there is a, 
inadvertent divide where the crew is having to focus on time and lights, camera, making sure the equipment's working fine, making sure the sound is recording okay, making sure everyone's hitting their mark, making sure everything's fitting the script, making sure everyone's taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the actors just stand around, hang out, and then play. So it's almost yeah. like one group is fucking working while the other is just hanging out. And I think that's I what breeds that. that difference in people, depending on how severe of a shoot it is. Some shoots are really relaxed, but some shoots are like, right, go here, do this, move there, oh, go there, go oh, here, get oh, the fuck oh. out. Ah, I think, it's sorry, just timing. What I, what I should have said was, dude, yeah, I totally get what you're saying on the micro budget scene. But I'm talking about big budget scenes where you don't have the, You've got such a big crew. Oh, yeah. Two, yeah. two people you can have in the rest while two guys doing the job. They can talk about it, but you don't. You know, I've worked on a few BBC shoots and a few like TV shoots and things like that. And I've actually seen them calling each other behind the backs. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? She's a working together. Yeah. And it's because yeah. when when they come up here to film, they don't use local talent. They bring the talent up from different areas. And it's like, well, there's your problem straight away. You bring people who have already got heckles up against another divide because why haven't you used my friend or why haven't you used my friend or why haven't you done this and it's crazy well Wayne Madden when you worked with the BBC on um, that series didn't you have a bit of an issue like that where you kind of felt like an outsider yeah it's it's interesting actually because as you were going through that I was thinking of an experience I had actually got it must it, it would have been 10 years ago this week um, that I was working um, with a, a BBC3 program called Geordie Finishing School for Girls. And it was the first time that I'd ever worked on anything with the BBC. So as well as been mesmerized by the fact that I'd you know, been asked to work on this major production, it was also like just incredible how sort of tight-knit uh, everyone to a certain extent got in the crew and how then separate uh, the actors were. So we shot on location across Newcastle and Gateshead and Northumberland over, as I say, three weeks, pretty much every single day. So by the end of it, you got to know these people really well. It was almost like school ending. And some of those people, I mean, the majority of those I haven't spoken to for the last 10 years. And they just went and they disappeared. But I remember it was so crazy. I mean, at one point we were filming a scene in a in a council house. And the premise of the show was that these four rich girls from Chelsea and Buckinghamshire, they were all from very affluent backgrounds. And the idea was that they were coming down to Newcastle to live as Geordies for a week. They were going to experience Northeast life as a kind of a culture shock. So we were filming this one house, this scene where the girls lived. And this cameraman, he turned around to me when we were finished and he says, um, he says, listen, I need to pop outside for a cigarette and I have to call my wife. So he says, will you mind the camera for me? And he says, by the way, he says, what part of Scotland are we in? Just so I can tell my wife where we are. Um, <laughs> and he just, he hadn't a clue. Like, I mean, he didn't even know where in the world he was. Um, they spent money like it was water, which I know they don't do anymore these days. Um, but the budget was obscene in some respects. I mean, they had an accountant. It was the first time I'd ever seen an accountant on site. And he was literally handing out money from petty cash or writing checks on a daily basis. It was like they had their own little bank in the creative hub. Um 
it was just a it reality was a, show as well. It, yeah, it, it was an absolutely weird experience. But the, the interesting thing as well is that in terms of the crew, so myself and a few other people I know, we all heard about it at the same time as another production that was happening. And the other production was holding, um, they were looking for people and literally the production started on the same day. And one was Geordie finishing school for girls and the other was Geordie Shore. And several people I know went and worked with Geordie Shore and actually traveled to Australia and Mexico with it. Uh, one person I know nearly died of dehydration in Mexico because of the amount of work they were doing and what the crew went through. So while everyone was partying on a beach, this poor girl I know who worked for Geordie Shore uh, got very, very ill and uh, had dysentery because of, you know, the severe conditions of, of the hot Mexico sun. Um, so it was it was fairly crazy. But it's and then there are other productions I've worked on much similar to, to what you guys were talking about when we're all sitting together, cast and crew in someone's flat and we're all having a cup of tea before things began. And the best one, which I must talk about many, many years ago, probably one of the first things I ever worked on in Newcastle. And we were down by the quayside, and the director had managed to secure a location for us to shoot, which was this really very suave apartment, this absolutely beautiful place. I could tell you exactly where it is to this day. But I mean, you'd walk on by, you'd never imagine that this incredible luxury apartment was inside this building. And we were basically, we were shooting there and uh, we were all having, as I say, a cup of tea before we began. And one of the actors got up and said, um, if you just excuse me, he says, I, I just need to get a bit of air in the kitchen. And um, he was gone about two or three minutes. And I thought that's a bit weird. And I got up and went into the kitchen and found him collapsed on the floor. And the poor guy had had a heart attack. Mm. Um, and so there's me, there's me calling his wife uh, as the production, because at that point, and again, it's an amateur, none of us are getting paid to do this. So I'm the production manager, if you like, I'm the floor manager. And the director is looking at me, though, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, the man to the heart attack, we call the fucking ambulance. We do it now. <laughs> you know, dial 99. Are you sure? Are you sure he's not just acting? I say, he's not acting. He's unconscious. Call an ambulance. <laughs> so so he's there calling, and I'm calling his wife because I have the emergency contact numbers and all that. And the paramedics came in. And at the point that the paramedics are coming in, the director is sort of slowly whispering in, in the ear to one of his cameramen, get some of this footage. We'll use it as b This looks great. This is really awesome. I was like, you can't be filming this. It but it, yeah, but it's, but it's, uh, it's incredible though, because again, that was one of my first experiences with working from, from independent stuff. And I did that probably two weeks after I finished with the BBC at Geordie finishing school. So I went from doing this very lavish production where I got very well paid for being a runner and I was very pleased more so to get the experience. And I have went from that to working this amateur production where a guy's having a heart attack on the floor and it's like, for God's sake, he's not dead. You know, he's not acting. He's not a method actor. He's having a heart attack. Call an ambulance. You know? Must have been a hell of a script. That's all I'm saying. Jesus. I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
read the script. Oh fuck! <laughs> well, this this was this this was uh this was from a director who um I'd love to know what happened to him. He called himself Davy Wormwood. Yeah, I know. UFO extraordinaire, UFO sighter, and he had a YouTube channel in which he was dedicated to uncover. And this was in the early days of YouTube, and it was dedicated to uncovering the mysteries of the the universe and UF alleged UFO sightings in Newcastle. And one day he literally disappeared, and people yeah, I know, he's dead. Well, you know that's that's I know that's the guy. One- he's dead. That's one theory, but I've never, I've never no, seen, I've any- seen his obituary. He's dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, well, if he, I, if, I must have told you this at least four times over the last couple of years as well. You, you have, but when I've gone searching for it, I've never found any proof. So, and it is though, it's something that I have heard from people who have also worked with them. It's, you know, something that I had heard. But you're holding on hope. You're holding on but hope that I, everyone's I, wrong and he's still kicking around Elvis it's, style. It's, and no, it's, well, partially, but it's also the journalist <laughs> in me. You know, it's the, it's the molder in me. I want to believe. I want to believe that aliens took him. That's what I want. Well, to as a special for your website, we're going to have to have you do an investigative report and find out the truth. Let's do it. Can okay. I ask, is David Wormwood his real name? No. What is it? No. It's Brett Gary, isn't it? Yeah, it's Brett Gary. Yeah, yeah. Gary. And yes, I've also heard he's dead as well. Yes. I yes. remember when he died. So I'm pretty sure he's dead. It's it's you see, it's the journalist. If you're not me. dead, I've, Brett, I'd really appreciate if you let people know because we're all quite convinced that you're probably dead. I mean, if if you can provide me tangible proof, I'm happy to to cooperate. You know, I'm happy to agree with you. I've just never seen. So if you do find that obituary in all seriousness, by all means, send me a copy because yeah, I'd, I genuinely like to know. I, I you know, yeah. Yeah. And uh, right, if you are dead, please get in touch with our other show, Skeptic Challenge. It'd be real <laughs> fucking handy. <laughs> real fucking handy. <laughs> Now, before we uh, close out this episode, guys, uh, I know we've talked a lot about our personal experiences, things like that, but we're also not just filmmakers, we're film fans. What I want to hear about is some of the people that draw you to watch a movie. Now, I know that from the Hollywood standpoint, it's all about the name awareness, isn't it? Like the Tom Cruise and The Rock and everybody else. But (laughs) excuse me, I want to know as filmmakers, actors and fans, which actors will make you go for, Oh, he's in this. I'm going to, or she's in this. I'm going to watch this movie. And I'll start with you, Wayne Thompson, which people get you going. I got to watch this because they're in it. I know who your first answer is. I expect you have at least a couple, but yeah, Michael Ironside, you'll be all over him. Well, off of mine, you're dead now, sadly. Um, I would have said Bill Paxton. Um, yeah. Roddy Piper, because I just love him. Um, Bruce Campbell. Um, well, he's not dead yet. No, he's nope. not. He's not. He's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, was one, but he's now passed, sadly. Um, I mean, I don't guess on. I, I like to watch the loan, even though he's not the best of actor, but I enjoy his films. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't I really got any who I would say, yes, I may go. I just, I sit, if I like some of what I like the looks of, then yes, I won't say it. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. The problem that I've got with actors is that you're always going to have them where they've done grip forms and they've done some 
shit performances. Mm-hmm. Is that the reactor? Or is it the director? Will we have now, I would say there's some actors who've never given a shit performance. That's just my opinion. Um, certain right. actors that come to my mind is people like Steven Root. I've never seen Steven Root do a bad job yet in every movie or TV show he's in. I will always watch. Steven Root, who was like the Texas banker in yeah, yeah. You know, Country for Old Men. He was, you know, Bill Dotrieve on King of the Hill. For those who don't know, he was, mm-hmm. you know, every every little performance he gives is always a, a fucking awesome one. Uh, he was in the show Barry recently for the first two seasons. That's an amazing show. If you ever want to watch a really fun show where they actually have acting as one of the strong points of the show, that is a fantastic show. Barry on HBO. Um Fucking Bill Hader's performance in that show is Emmy worthy every episode. It's phenomenal. So basically a hitman who decides I want to stop being a hitman to be an actor. And like uh, Tim was talking about, he has to do all those stupid fucking exercises instead. And he doesn't know how to deal with it because he doesn't know how to deal with people. <laughs> Great fucking show. Really oh, good wow. show. If you've never seen it, Tim, I wholeheartedly oh, recommend you binge it's Barry. Joy, yeah, definitely. You will fucking love it. It blew me away. I loved it. Um, Tim, so what, what actors get you going? Oh, they're in this. I'm going to watch that. Straight uh, for me, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, yeah. He's he's damn good. Yeah. He, I, I'm just going to break everyone's brains. I preferred him to Hopkins for Lecter. Yes. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I, I do hear that a lot. For me, he's he is more... Thomas Harris's lecture from the novels, mm-hmm. Mads Mikkelsen for me. Um, I don't know. There's there's something about I, I, it, it, they're very different portrayals, aren't they? I, I think. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think there's something. I mean, even though he is younger, obviously than Hopkins, when he plays that role, there, there is something with the way Mikkelsen does it in Hannibal. There's something you've got the intellect there, the the, the class. The you know he's he's extremely lavish, isn't he? Like similarly to what Hopkins is, but I think his young, just energy mm. that he gives to it as well. Because there's, there's a few scenes, isn't there, in the series where you where you see him, you know, kind of brutally fist fighting, yeah, defending himself, and he's not necessarily stereotypically the best fighter, this character, but he's because he's got that youth behind him, mm-hmm. he's not backing down. You know, and I, and I think having that that aggressive edge, that that well, the, the more you know, he's a serial killer, but the more kind of the fist fighting edge to him, um, mm. kind of you know, where sometimes in a piece, combat can kind of take away from the from the main point. I think in that he just played it absolutely astonishingly well. Uh, I think he was incredible. Well, I, um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I'm just going to say a little piece of trivia here. Uh, Mads is actually a ballet dancer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a ballet dancer before he got into the film. And he said that his way that he portrayed Lecter was every movement should be like a dance to him, including fighting and including the way he makes his food and everything. And he wanted everything to have elegant arcs in the way he moved. Uh, And I I think it really comes across that he's a guy who's in total understanding of his physical movements as Lecter. Oh, yeah. And his portrayal. I, I loved it personally. Yeah, yeah he's, great actor. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when you when I'm thinking about it now, there is there is a very specific rhythm to it, isn't there? Like there's mm-hmm. a very he, he is quite a uh, physicality wise in that performance. It's very fluid. Yeah, 
I think it is. It's yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I tell you, who that's I, why you listen to movie madness. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I've just finished watching. Uh, I've just done a rewatch of Boardwalk Empire recently. You know the the Steve Buscemi TV show. Um, yeah. Yep. A few weeks ago, Michael Shannon is one of those actors. Um, you know the guy. I mean, he was the. In, I don't know if you know, but in that show, I believe he was he was he was the FBI uh, mm-hmm. agent um, who was a bit bit twisted. He was kind of portrayed more as the villain in that. Um, he was the villain in Man of Steel, you know, the Superman. Yeah, yep. he was the new Zod. Yeah, I, I don't know. There was a certain. Uh, he's he's just. I find him magnetic. Like there's something very menacing about him. There's something I think he's got this amazing camera stare. Um, oh, yeah. You know this focus that he gives. He, you know, he's uh, everything he does is for a very obvious intent. Kind of in his performance, he he, he owns the space. I think whatever he's in. This he, is he, something he, I love about actors and 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 viewers is the subjective nature of it. Because I would argue Michael Shannon's a terrible fucking actor. Oh really? But a really interesting looking person who does always, like you said, have yeah. that stare. Like he's a brutal guy wants to fuck you up. Mm. But I never really feel like he's anything but the brutal guy that wants to fuck you up. So I've never really been a big fan of his. Yeah. It's it's that subjectiveness. It's weird. And, and for me, I mean, even though I don't really know what the story is with him anymore, I don't know whether he's, uh, the last I heard, he kind of self-retired himself for, for uh, God knows with dementia, but Jack Nicholson as well. Yeah, yeah. Is, oh, yeah uh, I heard he retired. Yeah, he's always been, for me, whether it's been horror, comedy, uh, drama, he's just an incredible actor. I think he's, oh, yeah. he's an all-rounder. I mean, I, you know, I would have said you, you've got your Pacinos and De Niro's and... And that sort of thing. And to me, they're all brilliant. But Jack Nicholson, for me, I think he's just, it, it could be an, it could be any genre and he just storms through it. Correct. You probably, being a Scorsese fan, already know this, but I'll mention it for the audience anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jack Nicholson was in The Departed, uh, Martin Scorsese's Departed, uh, He's looked at the script and he said, these sex scenes are so dull. Can I fix those up for you uh, by contributing a little bit of my life experiences? And the whole thing about they actually cut a lot of it out (laughs) when he's snorting the cocaine off the girl's ass. He's like, that's because that's what I used to do. (laughs) And he said, the best part is what you do is you get the coke right in the middle of her ass crack. And then you have her farted in your face. <laughs> and uh, oh. unsurprisingly, they cut that from the movie, but apparently they actually shot it. <laughs> but he really, he really is, though, Matt. I mean, it's... Um, oh, it was a again, fucking legend. Again in The Departed, there's that scene, isn't there, where he's having... Uh, it's it's Matt Damon's character, isn't it? Go, goes around, he's in his apartment for breakfast, and he just puts that severed hand on the table. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Um, and again, I don't know if you go, you know, the, you know, the, the comedy, the Adam Sandler movie, the anger management. Uh-huh. Oh a, yeah. There's a scene in that. I watched it at the, at the cinema where it was released and it's when he first meets him and he's watching a movie on the plane with his, with his uh-huh. headphones in and the camera's just looking him straight in the face and he's doing that signal. He's laughing. He's just laughing uncontrollably at what he's watching. And it's that big smile. It's the booming laugh. And I think I was laughing for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and I watched it. He just gets you. Yeah. I think he can terrify you. He can make you laugh. Um, I think he can make you unbelievably sad. Oh, yeah. He's just incredible. 
I will say, I don't know about everybody else. I'm, I'm, we all must be Jack Nicholson fans. He's a goddamn legend. And I know most people probably say, oh, I love the most in like when he played the Joker in Batman or when he was in Witches of Eastwick or whatever. For me, the movie that really is his defining career moment for me, because I thought he actually was such a fucking incredible character and actor in it and that I just fell in love with him as far as his ability goes, was as good as it gets. Yeah. He was unfucking believably good and mesmerizing to watch in that movie. And also, I mean, everyone else that was in it was fantastic, too. It was not like it was just him, but he made a very unlikable character incredibly likable and watchable mm-hmm. through his his actual demeanor, mannerism, and characterization. He was he was phenomenal. Yeah, no, he is. He's um, like I say, but he's also if you if you go into his the way he approaches his work, he does so much, uh, you know, dramaturge and, and, and background to, to what he's doing. Mm. Um, you know, he, he create. I know we, we do hear this a lot. I think these days it's taken as quite a generic term now where a lot of actors do say they do create backstories for their characters. That he would not only create one, but he would, you know, he wouldn't just talk about the character's parents, he'd name them. And he'd go right back. He wouldn't just say, oh, my character was born uh, in, you know, a certain state or a county of England. He would he would name a specific town or a part of a region. And yeah. fair enough, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. But I mean, if you look at him, I mean, it's clearly paid off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Line, oh you know? yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Matt, uh, Wayne Madden, tell me some of the actors that make you go, God, I got to watch this movie. Um, I mean, there's there's the classics, obviously, like Nicholson, uh, Clint Eastwood, Sigourney Weaver. Mm. But I think in terms of a newer generation or younger actors who maybe still have a good couple of years ahead of them, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is mm. someone I was thinking of. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Paul Bethany, uh, Margot Robbie. Is, is this just the MCU you're talking? Oh, okay, <laughs> DC as well. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So there's, but but you see, but you see, the argument is that a lot of great actors these days they're getting the parts in those films because it's what people are watching. It's what's paying the big money. So oh, they're yeah, not. No, I was just making yeah. fun. I know. I, I agree. no, but I mean, but I mean, the great thing is though that the MCU and the DC universe is opening up sort of that caliber of actor that they can now hopefully. Paul Bethany can go off and have a career spanning the next 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. Um, but people like that. Uh, Bennett, uh, Sean Bean, I'm I'm still a big fan of. He's been gone many years, but I love seeing him and stuff. And, hey, he's still sharp. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And, oh, and, it bad. No, oh, no, I knew it was. And, I didn't know if it was going to pick up on it, but Wayne picked up on it. And I will say, I, I will say one thing, uh, one other person who it is a bit controversial, but I would welcome him back. I adore what Kevin Spacey does as an actor. He's a phenomenal actor. He has a great craft for that. Um, and I would love to, to see him make more. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I think it I will when he's in one of our films. Well, you know, if if all I, I hope so. I, I hope so. I hope he returns those phone calls and he reaches out and he says, let's make it happen. <laughs> Thing is, it is, like you said, a controversial subject, needlessly controversial, in my opinion, only because it's not like uh, anything was ever proven. And I think to lose your career over allegations is ridiculous. I know that we have to give a lot of credit to victims and all this shit and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm not going to defend the guy. I'm also no. not going to praise him. I just think as, as far as for his personal life, obviously um, me, I have a very in, in its own way, controversial view. I don't really give a fuck what people do in their personal lives. I'd rather everyone was a really lovely and caring human being, but I think that's too much to hope for the whole world. Um, it doesn't affect me watching a movie like seven and going, wow, John Doe's a phenomenally interesting killer. Wow. Yeah. Verbal kid is a great character. Yeah. It, you know, if you turned around tomorrow and was like, Oh, Michael Jackson molested some kids. Maybe I'd be like, no way. Is Thriller still an awesome song? It is. Oh, it's fucking great. So at least yeah. it hasn't impacted the music. Maybe he was a horrible person. Maybe he was a great person. We don't know. We'll never know. But it's not going to affect my enjoyment of his songs. No, no, absolutely. And I won't and affect I, my enjoyment of Kevin Spacey's performances. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, as I say, I think there's a lot of great actors out there, though, as well. So um, Margot Robbie, as I said, is, is another example where I love what she's doing with Harley Quinn. I don't so much love Suicide Squad as such, but I like her character. She's um, a great example, though. I'll still yeah. watch her in Suicide Squad, too, despite the allegations against her. I wasn't aware there were any allegations against her. Oh, yeah, with her filling all those kids. Oh, it's Arby Hammer. Oh, fucking hell. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry. You see, Arby you see, you Hammer. How, you see how accountable. Sorry, got. my bad. You see, you see uh, that's that's horrible. That's uh, <laughs> just this long, protracted silence in the edit with a... <laughs> I can't believe everyone just walked into that one. Fucking hell. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm, honestly, I'm sitting <laughs> on the camera. My shoulders are going as I'm sniggering to myself. No. Sorry, guys. Excellent. <laughs> Saying that, uh, Suicide Squad 2 looks like a lot of fun. And I can't believe they got Sylvester Stallone to play King Shark. That's fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. As bad as Suicide Squad was, I did think Birds of Prey was slightly better. It still wasn't brilliant, but it was slightly better. Yeah, it was. No, it, it was. And I, I think just lot- like what they did. I like what they did with the house more than anything. Uh, no, I, I agree, but I think a lot of that was because Suicide Squad originally suffered because Jared Leto wouldn't stop crying over the Joker right. and wouldn't. And, and I think that, <laughs> that brought the movie down so much that he just wouldn't shut up moaning about like oh you don't like the character but i was better than all of them combined and it was like no no you weren't you were a very good gifted actor and you still are he stop that lo- now <laughs> okay why would you enough. do that stop that no, i'm saying that's what you say the joker yeah yeah that's it but 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 that's the thing though you know i think criticism his self-criticism of that role and the fact that all of his lines have been cut and all this kind of nonsense um, and his parts have been cut. And they, I mean, it's like what we said at the start of the show when you were talking about what happens when you see a movie and you notice all of your parts are cut. Well, apparently Jared Leto sat in the cinema and he watched Suicide Squad and went, wait a second, what was that scene? You, you made me do that whole thing. Why isn't that in there? That explains my character's motives. And apparently they took it all out, allegedly. So I don't yeah, know. Well, I'm sorry, but what they left in is fucking terrible. So well, I can't well, exactly. cut out the gold. Is this on Justice League? Uh, no, no, Suicide no, Squad. this is on Suicide Squad. Has anybody seen the Just Saxonized Justice League? Yeah, yeah, I watched it last week. What the fucking hell point was that as that dream sequence, please? Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it was called self-indulgent, self-masturbatory filmmaking. Oh, dude, honestly, you've got this. You've got this film which has been made so much more complicated than what Ali was, and uh, needlessly as well. But right, you, you're watching this superhero film all the way through, and right at the end, they decide to put a dream sequence in where Batman goes, "Fuck!" I mean, whoa! You see what he said? There's been not one swear word throughout the whole film, and he just comes out and says. Oh, because well, the, the jokes wound them off. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> wow. is, how can you even write? I, I'm sorry to say this. I know I'm going to piss all the DC fanboys off again, but how can you overcomplicate a story that involves Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, and fucking Superman? I'll make it real straight for you. Superman can do anything he wants at any time in any way, unless someone is shoving a green rock up his ass. Batman can do whatever the fuck he wants because he's so rich he doesn't give a shit. Uh, Aquaman just needs to be near a puddle and he's cool. Fucking Wonder Woman has the power of vagina, so she's fine no matter what the scenario. The only thing that stops her is literally toxic masculinity. And then fucking Cyborg is literally a fucking Game Boy. All he needs to do is play Tetris and chill in the corner. It'll be happy clams. Yeah. How can you turn that into a complicated movie? There are five paper thin fucking characters who exist literally to do nothing but punch things. It's a really bizarre thing that I think the way that, that DC have gone about their, I mean, they call it the you know the, the DC universe because I I'm a big fan. I, I love the Marvel and DC stuff. Mm. Um, an unusual case I think for for the DC movies is that I honestly believe that the the solo projects like the Aquaman's the one the first yeah. Wonder Woman. Man of Steel, etc. I actually do think they're very good movies. I love that you singled out only the first Wonder Woman. This is it, yeah. Because you obviously have some taste. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, the the movies that are in their canon, which which get the fans riled up and which get a lot of anticipation, so Justice League, Suicide Squad, Batman v Superman, they always seem to, for, for me, they always seem to fall short. I don't know whether it is them buckling to too much pressure or trying to create kind of complex storylines that are kind of beyond their remit because they're trying to piece these things together. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't understand what it is. Personally, I think Batman versus Superman, in my opinion, I don't know why. I've got a feeling I'm probably going to get a bit of (laughs) of grin for this after this, is that for me... I have I have seen it a few times. I, I have I do have a genuine soft spot for it. But again, when you watch it, it's it suffers from loads of kind of pacing issues, conversation. Yeah, I, I fell asleep. I don't know how many times trying. Well, I, I did eventually watch it. I it will say to him. Yeah, you might want to jump on the next episode we're doing, which is actually Zack Snyder's boring verse, because ah, we're going to nice. discuss all of Zack Snyder's movies. I would argue, like you said, Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, um, Justice League. Well, those are the ones that Zack Snyder had a personal hand in pushing. And I just don't think the guy knows how to make a fucking good movie. I know mm-hmm. that every I mean, he's had some phenomenal material to work with, with things like Watchmen and 300 and even dawn of the dead where he did i would consider a far lesser re, you know quality remake in my opinion mm-hmm. but then look at his original content like sucker punch as the most boring completely disjointed misogynistic movie that has no clue what the fuck it wants to be from the beginning yeah. to the end the guy does not make movies he makes awesome music videos 
takes the music away and then compiles them with some dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's for, he for makes me, great visuals, unbelievably well, good that's visuals. What I was going to say, yeah, you you get from the opening scenes of these films, you get this incredible scale. Oh yeah, and then it's as if someone's just throwing horrible ingredients into a bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going, there you go. That's a couple of million, please. <laughs> you know, I, I I think this is this is uh this is a good topic for your for your next show. Because um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're gonna do a Snyderverse yeah. episode. I, yeah. I think it is because because I have dinner plans this evening, and obviously we're I we're, know. And we're all we're all closing <laughs> out now. Calm down. I was wrapping no, it up. I'm just saying because I know that <laughs> if, if we take the good stuff away, the audience are gonna be sitting here. They're gonna be listening to this. They're gonna go, "Oh my God, when do we hear the next episode?" And you want to keep them on tender hooks because you have oh, such yeah. good content. Well, yeah, exactly. we do close out. There's one more actor I think it's coming. He's one I'm going to bring him up. It's going to really wind Hank up a minute. Oh uh, Bob, no, no, you like him. You like him. Bob Odenkirk. Um, oh, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, exactly. But the reason I mention it is his next film, Nobody. You know about it? Yeah, yeah, no. it's, it's, yeah. By the, it's by the creators of John Wick. He's basically a family man who's drawn out of retirement. He used to be an assassin before he became a family man. Now everyone's coming to hunt him down. He's going to save his family. I wonder who is there acting in that one. Uh, well, I know that Christopher Lloyd's in it and Roz. Yeah, better than that. Michael Ironside. So you know it's going to be a good film now. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, this this guy and Michael Ironside, right? I have this theory, Tim, right? That yeah. that heterosexual men are allowed a couple of actors they would go gay for. And uh-huh. for me, it's it's like Guy Pierce. I'll I'll go gay for Guy Pierce or Hugh Jackman tomorrow, but they're like the only guys. Uh-huh. Uh, Wade is a very non, you know, he's super heterosexual, but I think there's a little bit of love affair going on with Michael Ironside, just a little bit. Like he may not have full sex with him, but he'll do some hand and mouth stuff, I think. Wow, yeah. On that note, fair enough. <laughs> oh no, I mean, I I could feel the sensation that no one wanted to tell me their gig, dude. So I was just gonna leave but it. Tim, you know, no one needs it exposed. To the world of Hank. Wow. <laughs> Come on, though, Guy Pierce, you wouldn't. Come on, look at him. I wouldn't. You're the only one. Anyway, it's been fantastic <laughs> having you, Tim. As always, my double, my double entendre of Wayne's there. I love having you guys on either side of me, like pieces of white bread to my meaty Hank sandwich. Uh, <laughs> Be careful! You were almost a Jill sandwich. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I love the reference. Yeah, that was that was that was brilliant, guys. Honestly, thank you very much for having me on. That was that was brilliant. Excellent. I'm Great glad time. you enjoyed it, man. You're welcome back anytime. And in the yeah, meantime, if anyone has back. anything they'd like to hear from us in the future, and Obviously, uh, if you want to give us your opinions about what we talked about today, you can get in touch with us at movie madness at deadrealfilms.com or you can go on our website at deadrealfilms.com forward slash movie madness. We love hearing from you guys and love talking about, you know, what uh, what you liked, what you didn't like and what you want to hear for the future. In the meantime, I've been your host, Henry Thompson, with, of course, Wayne Thompson, Wayne Madden and Tim Mount. I hope you guys have a fantastic night. We'll catch you on next Monday. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.